Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by BetterHelp. BetterHelp is a mental health platform that provides direct online counseling and therapy services via web or phone text communication. You don't even need to use flu powder in order to access a therapist through BetterHelp. I think we can all tell in book five that if you keep your feelings bottled up, it can start to affect you negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off of your chest if you don't have access to Dumbledore's office. I know in my life, therapy has helped me identify patterns to help me interrupt ones that I don't feel like are healthy and find better ways to cope. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash sacred text today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com slash sacred text. Chapter 16, Professor Trelawney's Prediction. Harry's euphoria at finally winning the Quidditch Cup lasted at least a week. Even the weather seemed to be celebrating. As June approached, the days became cloudless and sultry, and all anybody felt like doing was strolling into the grounds. I'm Vanessa Zoltan. And I'm Matt Potts. And this is Harry Potter and the Sacred Text. Vanessa, for subscribers to our Patreon this week, we have a wonderful Every Flavored Bean segment. Our beloveds, Harry, Ron, and Hermione, and all the rest of the crew are in the midst of their exams at Hogwarts. And you and I have some exam experiences, and we're going to discuss some of our favorite exam experiences in our Every (laughs) Flavor Beans segment. I also just want to say, for those of you who are supporting us on Patreon, you're going to hear some amazing bloopers this week. I stumbled over the second word in the opening (laughs) quote, and Matt couldn't figure out how to say the word subscribe. And of course... If you do not subscribe to our Patreon, we are still just so glad that you're here. Matt, you are telling us a story this week on the theme of rest. What story would you like to tell me? This is early in my work at Harvard as a professor. After I joined the divinity faculty, I think this is from my second or third year teaching. And I had not yet figured out, I'm not sure I still have yet figured out, but certainly at that time I had not yet figured out how to sort of manage my workload well. And at various times of the year, I would get very, very busy. And often when I get very busy, one of the things that I 
fail to prioritize is rest. And this was in spring. And, and, and I was also working at a church at the same time as I was, as I was teaching at the Divinity School. And it was coming up on Holy Week, which is kind of the season of the most significant kind of Christian observances and holidays, usually in April sometime, late March, maybe. And so it was right in the middle of the semester, was right in the kind of heaviest part of the semester. It was the morning, one morning in the middle of the week, I was making breakfast for the kids. The kids were small then. I think Danny was not yet two or maybe barely two. Cammie was just in kindergarten. Sam was in between. And I decided to make some scones for the, for the kids. I like to make scones. They come together pretty easily for me. It seemed like a fairly straightforward thing. I popped them in the oven. The scones are ready to come out of the oven. And Sammy and Cammie were standing in the kitchen. And I opened up the oven door and I, and I bent over to grab the, the tray of scones. And as I bent over, something in my back just very assertively announced to me, no. <laughs> and, and I very assertively screamed at the top of my lungs and fell on the floor because I was in serious pain. Like I'd thrown on my back before, but never like at this level of, of kind of discomfort. And Colette came down and I was like, first, get the scones out of the oven because if they overbake, they'll be dry. <laughs> right? That's, that's the first thing. So get the scones out of the oven. And then second, basically the, the only solution was for me to, to lay on the floor. I couldn't be moved. Colette just kind of took the children somewhere else so they wouldn't have to watch me writhe in pain. And I was on my back for, you know, three or four days. But what did happen is I slowed down that week. This is the week before Holy Week. And I slowed down and, and I got some rest. And I think the way I read this, looking back upon it, is I think it was my body just sort of demanding that I slow down. I was sort of refusing to slow down, refusing to take some rest. And, and what I've learned since then is, you know, it's times of stress, times of overtiredness and overwork when I get these sort of injuries that crop up and, and, and lay me low. And the way I respond to them is the way I should have been at behaving beforehand, which is I'd stop and I have to just kind of pay some attention to my body. Yeah, Matt, that is one of the things that I find so interesting about our society, right? That we only respect rest when it is physically required. And then we actually have to rest longer than if we had preemptively rested. Our bodies literally eventually are like, sorry, you literally have no choice but to stay in bed. I think that's right. And that's why I tell the story, because I was looking into the etymology of the word rest. And it has a fairly interesting etymology. It's not super precise, but they think that the word rest comes from an old Norse word that was a measure of distance, which is like, well, after you go this far, you have to rest. It seems like in that culture, there was just a presumption that a certain amount of expended energy required rest, that rest was as certain and as measurable as time or distance, right? And like, I think you're right. I think that's something that we've lost in our culture, at least in the way I approach my work life, right? It's, it's go until you go until someone gives you some time off or you find some time off, not go until you need to take a break because everybody needs to take breaks, <laughs> right? Yeah. I love that etymology. It's something that took me a really long time to figure out about Google Maps is it tells you how long it's going to take you to get somewhere as if you never needed to buy gas. Yeah. And I was like, no, but my car literally needs rest. Forget that I will need to go to the bathroom, right? <laughs> like my car needs refueling. Yeah. And it's like, we just don't figure in those things. Yeah. And I do. I find it so interesting when our bodies force us to figure in those things. And I love that the Norse culture 
was so much smarter than we are now with all of our smart technology. They were like, obviously, this is how you do it. Like the most accurate way for us to measure distance is how many times you had to stop and take a water break. Right? Yeah. Like, I had to take three breaks to get here. Oh, boy, that's that must have been pretty far. <laughs> right? That's, that's, a, that's a great, I mean, it says something not just about how far you traveled, but also like about what our bodies need and what it takes to do stuff. Right? Fascinating. Okay, well, Matt, I measure 30-second recaps in the fact that I do not need to rest. I can power through. Vanessa, are you ready? I'm ready. On your mark, get set, go. Hermione is just studying so hard, and it's beautiful out, and nobody wants to study. And Percy is really stressed because of the NEWTs, and even... Um, even the twins are studying and it's time for finals and finals are hard and Trelawney has a prediction that the Dark Lord is going to rise again and then Buckbeak is going to get executed and so the kids go down to take care of Hagrid. Hermione has to steal the um, invisibility cloak and they go down and oh my god Scabbers is in the milk bottle and then the executioner comes and they take Buckbeak out and then you hear the slice of Buckbeak's neck. Thought of the axe. Poor yeah. Buckbeak. I will say I remember so vividly reading this book for the first time, and I, really? I did not gasp, but my jaw did literally drop. I was like, "What? I can't believe she actually killed Buckbeak." Okay, on your mark, get set, go. So Harry's still very happy about Quidditch finals, uh, but they're sad about finals, uh, and they're studying, and they <laughs> go to some finals, and Hermione has too many, and and they go to dark arts, and and Hermione sees the Boggart turn into to McGonagall, and then they go to the other ones, and then they go to Trelawney's, and Trelawney gives a prediction, a, a real prediction, and they're very scared, and then they go to, to oh, there's Fudge shows up, and they go to, to Hagrid's, and Scabbers is in the milk jug, and they walk away, and they hear the thud. Oh, boy, that went badly. Whew. There, there are some things that I thought we should get to that were not in yours, and I spent too much time on them. The Boggart and yeah, Fudge. Those were, the, those were the two I thought. We you did wonderfully. Know. I think you did wonderfully also. You're a prince among men. So Matt, to me, the most obvious place of rest in this chapter is that Trelawney gives her first authentic prediction that we see, and it only happens when she falls asleep. Which it's arguably as to whether or not she's actually falling asleep, right? Or this is what it is like to have, like, be possessed by seeing the future. But what she experiences it as if she has fallen asleep. So what happens is Harry is in there and he is doing his final exam. And Trelawney right. has decided that the final exams are going to be one by one. And Harry and she have this really interesting conversation that I also think we should talk about about Harry's prediction is that Buckbeak is going to get away. And Trelawney is really upset that he's having such a non-bloody prediction. And that is interesting in its own way because Harry's prediction ends up being true. But then we get this like quote-unquote real prediction from Trelawney. And the way that she experiences the prediction, the prediction, of course, being that a friend of the Dark Lord is going to return to him and therefore the Dark Lord will rise again. The way that Trelawney experiences it is as if she fell asleep. And that is something I'm excited to jump into this more with you. But I think this is something that many of us can relate to, right? Where finally you're in the long car drive by yourself. And that is when you are able to solve a problem that you have been busily working on. Or when you're in the shower, right? When when you can't do anything else, when you are at rest, that is often, at least when I have 
ideas and solutions to problems that I've been carrying with me for a long time. And I'm wondering if you think that that's the right way to look at this moment with Trelawney and her quote unquote falling asleep and having this prediction. That's really interesting. I didn't read it that way just because it seemed like she passes into some like some state, right? Yeah. And I just didn't really make much of the fact that she experienced it as sleep. But you're right. She experiences it sleep, right? So to her, it feels like she just dozed off, which then I think you're also right and makes one wonder, like, well, how is this different from rest? When you, you read about sort of reports of like brain function and so forth, and it says that like, you know, often when when there's a problem that your active brain can't solve, turning turning that problem over to your unconscious, your passive brain actually allows you to arrive at a solution because your active brain gets caught in sort of pathways of understanding and you need to break out of that to, to do that, right? And sort of turning your attention to something else is a form of rest, taking a walk or, or doing something else, even if you're not, you know, reclining or, or, or sleeping, is giving the problem a rest so that some other less stressed or less exercised part of your brain can work on it. But it's also true with sleep. You know, I remember when I was playing instruments as a young person, you know, you practice and practice and practice and make a bunch of mistakes and then you sleep on it. And the next day you can play through the piece without mistakes. And that, you know, again, there's research about this that just says that while you sleep, your brain kind of casts off all the bad stuff and and retains all the good stuff. And you need the rest to do that, like actively engaging with the work does not let you arrive at the solution. And and when I go through all this, and I think about Professor Trelawney, and I think it's clear from the books that she has some predictive gift. It's also clear that she works really hard to promote the idea that every word that comes out of her mouth is an act of divination. And it's it's when she's not trying, <laughs> when she gives it a rest, when she gives the act a rest, or unwittingly just sort of moves into this trance-like state, which she experiences as rest, that the actual predictions come true. Yeah, I think that's that's a really interesting read and, and a really interesting way to apply this week's theme to that scene. Yeah, I, I mean, it makes me wonder whether or not Trelawney constantly trying to make predictions is her version of practicing the piano and getting it wrong all the time. Ooh. Or Ooh, nice. if most of the time she's acting irresponsibly and just like making wild claims, right? And it, it's really hard to tell the difference. Yeah. Right? Like, I know that people talk about writing as if all writing is productive, even if you end up just trashing pages. Yeah. I think a lot of writing, even when you end up trashing pages, is productive. I do not think all of my writing is productive. I think sometimes I'm rewriting the same thing I wrote a million times. Yeah. And I'm just stuck in that loop. And what I actually need is the rest. And, yeah. and so Trelawney, by like, forcing kids to make stuff up again and again by staring at your crystal balls. Like that could either be seen as her being really dogmatic and, uh, you know, just exercises in futility. Yeah. But then Parvati walks out from this exam really having had some sort of experience where she feels as though she really saw something. And I think if, if she had totally not seen something and Trelawney said she had, Parvati would know within herself that that was true and so maybe there is something to this divination thing. We see yeah. it in this chapter that there's something to it. Yeah. And so when something is futile and you're just banging your head against the wall versus when it's something productive is very, it's very hard to discern. I know for you, right? Like baking is often where you do a lot of your creative thinking. But that morning, yeah. baking was the straw that broke the 
ministers back. That's right. It was, that's exactly what it was. Writing is a great example because I think that all writing is productive is great advice when you have writer's block and you can't write anything. Then just getting right. into the habit and getting working was what you need. But you can also like write yourself into bad habits and just replicate those habits over and over again. And that doesn't help. That just kind of perpetuates the habit. And then when you have someone like Trelawney, who has children in her class, whose deaths she is happy to predict in, in that space, right? I feel like there, there's some power and weight to those predictions. You can't just throw those around, even if the practice is important, right? Like if... If I felt it was really important to practice archery and all my archery practice actually made me a better archer, there would be some times when I should not be practicing archery, right? Like it's just, it's just dangerous sometimes. And so even if, even if. On the I'm, airplane. On the airplane. Don't practice there. Don't practice archery on no. the airplane. No. Don't do I, that. I really like this idea. It's a much more generous reading than I was willing to give Trelawney. I really like this idea that her attempted predictions, her constant attempted predictions are not just obnoxious. They are also good faith attempts to practice a gift that she does have and is trying to cultivate, right? I, I, it's a really generous reading of Trelawney, and so it's one I want, to, I want to hold on to. But I think we also can observe that she does not practice carefully, and she knows the effect it has upon her students because she's perfectly willing to accept the adulation of Lavender and Parvati and also perfectly willing to kind of stress out and frighten people like Carrie with dire predictions. And Neville. And Neville. She has a prediction that Neville is going to fall downstairs and hurt himself, right? She's, like, threatening him. She's like, if you tell other people what was on the exam, you're going to experience severe bodily harm. Yeah. Which is a threat and is also, like, not how you teach kids not to cheat. It's also, I mean, if you know Neville very much, at least as he presented in the book, it's also, it's kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy, right? Like, if you tell a child like Neville that you're going to trip down the stairs, then he will get nervous and anxious every time he goes downstairs, which increases the likelihood that he's going to trip down the stairs. It doesn't seem, doesn't seem wise or yeah. good. No, she's definitely practicing archery with a fire bow on That's right, a flaming an arrow. airplane sometimes. Yes, yeah. a flaming arrow That's what on I an meant. airplane. Not yep. a bow, <laughs> a flaming arrow. So one of the places in the chapter where there is not rest, where we can kind of talk about rest by implication is right at the beginning of the chapter, they're turning away from the Quidditch final towards their coursework finals, and Harry and Ron find Hermione's exam schedule. Yes. And what we see is that she has four exams, which are scheduled over two exam sessions. So she has two simultaneous exams twice. And the boys, you know, question her about this, and she's very impatient with them. And they say to her, this can't be right. And she looks at it and she's like, of course it's right. Stop bothering me, right? And it is right. <laughs> they just don't realize that she has the ability to time travel. Right. Hermione's not resting enough. No. Her stress level is very high. I think all of us readers are concerned about her. I think it's played for laughs, I think, in the text. But when the boggart that she confronts in her last challenge in the dark arts exam is McGonagall telling her that she has failed, it's a little bit sad, right? Because McGonagall is the one who gave her the time turner. Right. So she is feeling all this pressure. She's placing it upon herself, but she's also feeling it from her head of house and from this important professor at the school where she wants to do so well. And she feels it so acutely that she is not she is not giving herself time to rest and recover. She is going to throw out her back making scones if she's not careful. Yes, I completely agree. And I also don't understand 
I don't understand why when McGonagall handed her the time turner, she wasn't like, also add more studying time. Also add more sleeping time. And like, obviously I do not understand the metaphysics of this time turner. Maybe that is not one of the things it allows. But if you give a child a tool like a time turner, it's like handing them a knife. You can't hand it to them and be like, best of luck. You have to teach them how to use it responsibly. And Hermione is not is not using this responsibly. She's using it dutifully, right? She is using it exactly yep. how she was instructed to use it. But yeah, she's snapping at Ron and Harry. She is, you know, causing psychological and probably physical harm to herself through exhaustion. And again, this like gets back to something we were talking a little bit about in your opening story, Matt, about how there just need to be structures for rest. And if you're going to hand someone more work, you have to also take work off of their plate or hand them more time for rest somehow. Right. And yeah, I think we just see the, the physical toll that this is taking on Hermione in the scene. She doesn't usually snap at the boys. Not usually. They are theoretically expressing concern. Right. I mean, usually the boys deserve it when she snaps at them. Exactly. (laughs) Right. Right. It's almost because Hermione is exactly the type of child that McGonagall would give a time turner to, that this should be the child that you teach to use the time turner, right? If you have the kind of child who is so driven and so anxious to do well and to work hard that they want to take a double class load or double up on exams and need time travel in order to accommodate that, then this is a child who you might also want to instruct or advise towards rest. So on the one hand, I agree with you. On the other hand, I'm a little bit not surprised because I think about that week when I threw out my back and if somebody had given me an extra hour or an extra two hours, I probably wouldn't have taken a nap. I probably would have done the thing that I was behind on or the thing that I was putting off until next week, right? I think we can, and Hermione's absolutely there, I think we get into these places where we get so consumed with the kind of things that we have on our to-do list and so focused upon ticking the boxes and getting them off. The fact that rest isn't on that to-do list means that we just don't pay attention to it and we turn to the next thing and turn to the next thing until we shut down, right? I don't want to leave this episode just like offering the platitudes of, believe it or not, you need rest. Rest is healthy, right? Like, and there are people doing really important work on this, right? You know, people who are doing research on the necessity of sleep, but there are also people doing social justice work around this. I know there's an organization called the Nap Ministry, which I admire a lot, that talks about how Black women in particular need to rest and the radical political and economic nature of that rest, that you're resisting capitalism, which doesn't value your time enough anyway, by resting. Yeah. But, you know, I love what you said about putting rest on your to-do list. It It's something that I think about, you know, when I was a runner, the more you run, the more you learn about splits, right? That essentially you figure out what split works well for you. And a split is how long you walk for however long it is that you run. And so I was never an excellent runner. And so I had what they call a four-one split, where I would run for four minutes, walk for one, run for four minutes, walk for one. And it sounded so counterintuitive because I was trying to get my time down, right? I was trying to get a better time in my half marathons. And someone was like, well, what you need to do is walk more and you will get your time down. And it just felt like patently not true. 
And yet it somehow worked, right? For those four minutes, I was able to run faster. And sometimes I'd be able to run for five minutes at a time and then do a one-minute split. But it really, staying to that 4-1 ratio made me faster. And I don't want the justification to be you'll actually be more productive if you rest. I think rest is just like a human right. But I do think it's so terrifying that Hermione in this moment is being taught to maximize time past the time-space continuum. Yeah. And no one has said, can you please put rest on your checklist? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's back to that etymology, right? The thing that I've noted about that just sort of, at least in ancient Norse culture, there's this idea that rest is as immovable as time, <laughs> right? And now right. we have in the Harry Potter world, well, actually time has become movable, but but rest is still something that's not that's not prioritized. It's right. sort of inheriting this sort of capitalist driven kind of worker bee sort of set of values into a world where time is movable, but rest is still not prioritized. Just the other thing with rest, as someone who grew up adjacent to Orthodox Jewish communities, something that always bothered me about the Sabbath is that often women aren't resting on the Sabbath because there's yeah. things that are not considered work are things like feeding your family. And it's less work. You're supposed to do a lot of the prep work before Shabbat and, you know, and it's more restful than other days. But I think that the right, the less power you have, the less social capital you have, the less access to rest you have. Yeah. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by Redfin. Let's say for some reason you can't get back to Grimmauld Place, so you need to find a new home. If you're like me, you would go to Redfin. Redfin updates their listings every two minutes and sends you personalized recommendations, so finding the home that's perfect for you has never been easier. If you see something you like, just book a tour straight from the app. And when you're ready to buy, an experienced local Redfin agent can guide you through the whole process. And if you're looking to sell, Redfin agents know how to get you the best price possible for your home. That's because they sell twice as many homes as other agents. With a listing fee as low as 1%, Redfin's fees are half of what others often charge, which means you'll have more money to put toward your next home. They even have a function where Trelawney will tell you whether or not she can see you in this house. Redfin. It's how Molly found the burrow. Download the Redfin app to get started.
One of the things that that I was thinking about also is just sort of how when your to-do list is very long, like Hermione's is, like yours is, Vanessa, like like mine can be sometimes. Sometimes figuring out how to get yourself some rest is a lot of work, right? Totally. Like the, the kind of structures and systems you need to put into place to make sure that you can have a week of vacation, right? Or have a couple of days off or whatever, or spend some time away. It just seems like more restful not to have to do all that stuff, <laughs> right? Totally. Which is why something like, you know, when I threw up my back or when I injured my foot, when I broke my foot last fall, like those were times when I knew I needed rest at a kind of general level, but I thought about what it would take to get myself some. And it seemed like, yeah, I'll just, this seems easier. I'll just do this until everything had to be canceled because I, because I broke myself. Mm-hmm. I was just thinking about that, given everything you said about, about rest also being a privilege, like the ability to take it and the ability to put plans in place to have other people protected for you to to take up your load so you can take some rest that's not that's not something that all folks or even most folks have and it's not something that you know the models of kind of success that we have in in our culture is not something that they promote either i mean i think we see a version of that in some ways similar and in some ways different with Hagrid. When the when the kids make it down to Hagrid's hut, Hagrid is like just walking around, right? He's not sitting staring lovingly at Buckbeak. He's just pacing and making tea and doesn't really know what to do. And part of me wants to be like, shh, Hagrid, like sit and rest. But I think that this energy comes from two places. One being like, Something is about to happen and there's nothing I can do, but it feels like there has to be something I can do. And just that motion of, I know I can't stop this thing from happening. And yet I'm used to having some control over what happens in the world. And so I'm just going to keep moving in hopes that I fall upon the thing that will change all of this. Yeah. And then the other thing and maybe this is about rest. It's about a fear of rest. He doesn't want to stop because he'll fall apart, right? Which is also something that I resonate with. Sometimes I'm like, oh, I'm scared of silence in my own thoughts, right? And so resting, resting to your point structurally is exhausting and logistically is exhausting. But I also think resting is hard. Yeah. Like Hagrid can't. He can't just look at Buckbeak right now. It just makes me think about the word restless, right? Like when someone's restless, Mm -hmm. you don't usually mean that they haven't slept well or they can't find a vacation. You usually mean that their body is is causing them to move, right? Or their mind can't settle down for the kind of reasons you describe, for Haggard's reasons, because he he's afraid he feels compelled to do something because he can't there's nothing he can do. Right. And if he were to stop, his mind would race to all the thoughts he doesn't want to have. And so he has to he has to keep moving. Yeah. This is just a, a final comment. I mean, it, it's it's sad at the end of the chapter because everyone's done with their exams. But Harry, Ron, and Hermione have this other task they have to perform. They can't, even though they've finished their exams, because they know what's going on with Buckbeak and Hagrid, they don't just get to relax by the lake like everybody else. They have to go and help Hagrid, which is, of course, the right choice. But it made me just think about the way the Hogwarts academic year is structured, where everyone finishes their exams and then everyone just kind of relaxes for a while until they see what what their marks are, which is great. I mean, I understand why we don't do that at a place like Harvard, because here, when people finish their exams, they go home 
And I, you know, the university probably doesn't want people hanging out in their rooms with not much to do except trouble. But I really like this idea of like the exams are hard and we all went through this together. Let's everybody just take a week or a few days and enjoy being with each other to close the year. Right. I, to me, that's so much a healthier way to think about how to close a year and how to process a lot of hard work to cap a year and and what an appropriate goodbye should look like and and all those things. I, I like this part of Hogwarts. I like that part of the year. And I'm sorry that for a whole number of reasons, I'm sorry that Harry, Ron and Hermione don't get to experience it because they're in the middle of this other kind of tragic and scary thing. I couldn't agree more. Matt, it's now time for our sacred practice. This week, we're going to be doing florilegia, the monastic practice, in which you and I each will pick a sentence that we loved from the text. We will share some context about it, why we picked it, and then we will put the two quotes in conversation with one another. What quote did you pick, Matt? I picked a very short line from right toward the end of the chapter. The line is, Harry felt strangely unreal. This is the the trio have gone to visit Hagrid. They know the execution is about to happen. And they're in Hagrid's hut and they see Fudge and Dumbledore and the executioner, McNair, and the committee member headed towards Hagrid's hut to execute Buckbeak. And Hagrid doesn't want them there for this. And they know that the end of Buckbeak is near and that, that there's not much they can do. Harry, Ron, and Hermione are sent out the back door in the invisibility cloak where they see Buckbeak. And as they go out of the garden, the text has this line where it says, Harry felt strangely unreal. I know, I guess I selected the line just because it's it's a fairly simple description. And, you know, it's not especially florid or or metaphorical or something, but something about the fact that, you know, he's He's with his two friends under an invisibility cloak in this garden with this magical creature and the executioner's on the way. I think in these moments of extreme stress, sometimes you can f- it can feel kind of surreal. It can feel like this is not really happening. And in moments of grief, we have that as well, where you f- you say, this is not real. This is not really happening. And you Sometimes you even ask yourself like, or have to remind yourself, is this happening? This is happening, right? And I, even though it's a very short description, there's Something about that sense was conjured for me by that line. Yeah, and that's that's why I picked it. What line did you select, Vanessa? I picked a very different line. Trying to bully their brains into concentrating while enticing wafts of summer air drafted in through the windows. I mean, why I picked it is very basic. It is a beautiful day here in the greater Boston area. And um, I have some things I have to do inside And um, so I think that that is why it sparkled up at me today. But this trying to bully our brains into concentrating, it's not just that you're trying to spend energy, you're spending energy trying to spend the right kind of energy, right? Um, And so about this theme, it just really struck me. Like your body wants to rest. Your body is being like called to the warm sun and you are not only not doing that, but you're like, stop it, stop it. And yeah, so (laughs) that is why it sparkled up at me. And what it is in the text is, you know, it's a beautiful June day and the kids are having to take their finals. And so they're trying to concentrate, even though every part of them wants to just be outside. Yeah, I love that verb too, bully. Like, it seems like sometimes that's what you do to your brain too, right? 
Yeah. <laughs> right? Like, it's not just like telling your brain, no brain, it's not time for that. Like, you actually have to like, be mean to your brain in order to, to try to distract yourself from what you would prefer to be doing. So Matt, our two sentences together are, Harry felt strangely unreal, trying to bully their brains into concentrating while enticing wafts of summer air drafted in through the windows. I mean, that just makes sense. Well, that sounds like he's doing mind control. Like he's, he is <laughs> like in some some state where he is trying to control the minds of of others who are distracted by the uh, the lovely outdoors. That's <laughs> true. Yeah. I love that. Those are moments in which I feel unreal. When when a group of people are looking at me like I'm the one in charge, yeah. I'm like, wait, what? Why? They shouldn't trust me. What do I know? I would imagine that would feel unreal for Harry. Yeah, I think that's right. I also think there's something that feels unreal about that moment, right? When you, I mean, I think it's a moment that you selected from this chapter because it's so identifiable and right now, which is the weather's lovely outside and we're inside recording a podcast, right? And there is something kind of weird about like getting between yourself and your own brain to say, no brain, we are staying inside, right? Like you, there is like a, uh, you, you kind of have to split yourself in two in order to talk to yourself out of the thing that you actually really want, right? And I guess that is kind of unreal. Yeah. Okay, let's put these sentences in the opposite order now. Flip them. Sounds great. Trying to bully their brains into concentrating while enticing wafts of summer air drafted in through the windows, Harry felt strangely unreal. The thing that this is making me think about, Matt, is how human beings have decided to behave often as if the outside world is not real. And, you know, staying in despite good weather or whatever is pretending that the world isn't real, right? Mm. I, or that the world doesn't have material impacts on you. It's more obvious in the winter. Again, it's more obvious that you need rest when your back literally breaks. And it's more yeah. obvious that weather should impact our behavior when there's eight feet of snow on the ground and you literally can't get to the car, that right. you probably shouldn't drive. Yeah. Yeah, I also think that relates to this question of rest, right? Because we tend to think what's on our to-do list is the most real thing, but rain and shine and the outdoors are real too. And sometimes what we really need is rest and we should just mm -hmm. trust that. Well, thank you for such a lovely Florilegia, Matt. Thank you, Vanessa. This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by Redfin. Let's say for some reason you can't get back to Grimmauld Place, so you need to find a new home. If you're like me, you would go to Redfin. Redfin updates their listings every two minutes and sends you personalized recommendations, so finding the home that's perfect for you has never been easier. If you see something you like, just book a tour straight from the app, and when you're ready to buy, an experienced local Redfin agent can guide you through the whole process. And if you're looking to sell, Redfin agents know how to get you the best price possible for your home. That's because they sell twice as many homes as other agents. With a listing fee as low as 1%, Redfin's fees are half of what others often charge, which means you'll have more money to put toward your next home. They even have a function where Trelawney will tell you whether or not she can see you in this house. Redfin. It's how Molly found the burrow. Download the Redfin app to get started. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. 
I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. This week's voicemail is from Tatiana. Hi, Vanessa and Matt and the Harry Potter Sacred Text team. My name's Tatiana, and um, I'm calling in to thank you for um, your reflections on Harry's early childhood trauma that I'm bringing sort of attention to the fact that we can remember uh, things that happened to us when we were very little that perhaps we don't remember as an actual memory, but they imprint on us on some way. I think in Harry Potter, we often talk about um, book five as like the PTSD book. But I think that actually, as someone who has complex PTSD, um, which is someone who experiences repeated traumas um, over and over again. Um, I see Harry through that lens, through the loss of his parents and his treatment at the Dursleys and then all of the subsequent events. Last year, um, this past year has been very hard for me because my biological, both of my biological parents died um, and it brought up a lot for me that I didn't know I would have to face yet. Um, it was very painful. And there were times last year when I realized that it was sort of like I was dealing with the inner child was like a baby. Um, it didn't have words. It just had pain. And I just had to walk around holding my inner baby and saying, it's okay. And just holding myself while I was crying and saying, it's okay. Um, this is a blessing for Harry. I hope that he heals. And for anybody who's dealing with complex PTSD, it is very painful, but we have uh, knowledge that there is hope for healing. And I wish that for everyone. Thank you. Tatiana, thank you so much for your voice memo and for sharing a little bit of your story with us. And I'm, I'm glad that this reading of Harry meant something to you and the blessing that you shared for Harry, I hope that you will receive from us too. We hope that you heal and we know that there is hope for your healing and that we are glad that you're part of this community and glad that we can support you in our small way as you move through your healing. And Tatiana, I think that your words will be a blessing to many people in our community who need to hear them. I'm so sorry for your loss and I'm really grateful for you sharing. 
It's now time for us to remember those in our community who have been loved and lost. Barbara McCarthy, 90, a mother, dog lover, and avid reader. Zachary Todd, 32 weeks, born sleeping, a beautiful boy, forever loved. May Kirby, 94, a fiercely independent grandma. Margaret Valpel, 85, a patient and loving grandmother. Bob Walskag, 74, a grandfather and champion of dreamers. Harriet Johnson Naden, 84, a lover and giver of literature. Kathy Freeman, 68, a loving mom, daughter, and sister. Daniel De La Torre, 52, a friend and veteran philosopher revolutionary. Aaron Alistair, 20, a beloved brother and son who burned and blazed. Tom Hearth, 62, a father and lover of trees. Let light perpetual shine upon them. Vanessa, who are you blessing this week? I'm blessing Ron. Ron has a reaction that is just like a textbook privilege reaction that does not see itself. When he finds out that Buckbeak is getting executed, he says, they can't. I've spent ages reading up on the stuff for him. They can't just ignore it all. As if the crime of Buckbeak being killed is the waste of Ron's time. And I understand what Ron is up against, right? He's like, he is someone who in his life has always been rewarded for his hard work. When he decides to work hard, he gets a result from it. And so this is the first time he's confronting the idea that hard work does not equal results. And he's a kid. And so this is a completely reasonable assumption. And I think I want to bless him because I still have this instinct where I'm like, but but I tried hard. And I think it's incumbent upon all of us to constantly remind ourselves that hard work does not mean just rewards and horrible things happen regardless of that. No one deserves the horrible things that happen to them. So I think there's a lot implicit in what Ron is saying here. And I see myself in it and I don't love that I see myself in it. So a blessing for Ron and his evolving understanding of how the world works and for myself in that same evolving understanding. Who do you want to bless? I'd like to bless Dumbledore this week. I know Dumbledore is not perfect and makes a very small appearance in this chapter. And you know what? Maybe his obligation as the head of the school to accompany the Minister of Magic and uh, the committee member and the executioner down to Hagrid's hut. 
But that's not what he tells Hagrid, and I don't think that's why he's coming. He sends Hagrid a note and says, I'm going to be there because I want to be with you when this happens. And I, you know, like we often say in this podcast, Dumbledore is not perfect, but he's good to Hagrid. At least he tries to be good to Hagrid. He could be better, but he's, he tries to be good to Hagrid. And in this moment when Hagrid needs him, Hagrid feels like he can count on him, and that's because he can, because Dumbledore is going to show up for him. So blessings to Dumbledore and to everybody who shows up. Vanessa, next week we are reading book three, chapter 17, Cat, Rat, and Dog, through the theme of partnership. Ooh, fun. I love partnerships. Before we close, everyone, we have a voice memo from Nora in Jacksonville, Florida, who's going to tell you all about our wonderful Patreon perks. If you'd like to learn more about supporting us through Patreon or enjoy some of the wonderful things that Nora's going to tell you about, go to patreon.com slash Text. This is Nora in Jacksonville, Florida. My family and I love listening to this podcast. It has become a really important part of our weekly ritual to read the chapter, talk about the theme of the week, and then listen to the podcast together. We support Harry Potter and the Sacred Text on Patreon because it means a lot to us to have this podcast in our life and we want it to stay around for as long as possible and we want to make sure that everyone who works on it is able to support themselves and keep making this amazing project. Matt, we just have one announcement before we give our thanks, which is that we are in the middle of a big Patreon push in honor of my 40th birthday. That's right, I'm middle-aged, and the way you can thank me is by hearing me mess up a lot in our blooper reels. We hope that you join us on Patreon at patreon.com slash Harry Potter Sacred Text. This has been a Not Sorry production, and Not Sorry is a feminist production company. Our executive producer is Ariana Nettleman. We are edited and produced by AJ Yaramas. Our engineer is Erica Wong. Our music is by Ivan Paisal and Nick Bull, and we are distributed by Acast. Thanks this week to Tatiana for their blessing and voice memo. Thanks to Laura Glass, Julia Argy, Gabby Iori, Nikki Zoltan, Catherine Takile, Stephanie Paulsell, and all of you who sent in the names of your loved ones this week. And I was like, what? I can't believe she actually killed Buckbeak. Or did she? <gasps> dun, dun, dun. Tune in next week, listeners, <laughs> for <laughs> the next exciting episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text. <laughs>